what's your own development journey. You need to be curious. You need to be wanting to learn more and not say after a few years, well, that's it. Now I know the world and I can operate in it. Yeah. So it never stops and you always have to want to learn. Hello and welcome to the Leader Insight Series podcast, the platform designed to uncover the secrets to both career and business success, gaining real insight from inspirational figures across the food and drink industry. I'm your host, Jonathan O'Hagan, and my special guest today is Frank Hooving, the Managing Director for Simrise UK and Ireland. Simrise is one of the world's top suppliers in the flavouring and fragrance market. The company has developed over 34,000 products and their customers include manufacturers of perfumes, cosmetics, the pharmaceutical industry, nutritional supplements manufacturers and of course, the food industry. Under Frank's leadership, Simrise is the fastest growing company of its type in the UK. And so I was delighted for him to join us on the podcast so I could pick his brains. Originating from Germany, Frank and I have a great discussion ranging from his own personal career journey, which includes working with the likes of Kraft Foods, Perfetti Van Melli, and for the past nine and a half years with Simrise. Frank shares the challenges he faced stepping into the managing director role in the summer of 2019, some seven months before the pandemic hit. We talk about his current priorities, what he's focused on to ensure the future success of the business, he also shares his principles for leadership success and advice for aspiring leaders of tomorrow and much, much more. So stay tuned, subscribe if you've not done so already, so you'll get notified of future episodes. We have some more super guests coming soon from the wonderful world of food and drink. Enjoy. Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Jonathan. It's a pleasure. Well, it's a pleasure to see you. Yeah, pleasure to have you on. And well, listen, you've had an impressive career, Frank, through food and drink, FMCG over the past 20, 25 years. You've worked for a variety of organisations, as, as I mentioned in the intro there, and you're currently leading the UK and Ireland business for Simrise, which we'll, we'll talk all about Simrise later on. But firstly, let me take you back to the start, if I can, Frank. What did attract you initially to a career in food and drink? And I suppose, importantly, what's kept you in it all these years? When I was a student of uh, business studies and 22 years old, uh, I was applying for an internship and I uh, was going about that in a pretty random way. I sent applications to banking, consulting and industrial companies and having no clear strategy, obviously I collected a lot of rejections and it was one day that I was shopping in a supermarket. I had really an aha moment. Uh, I had uh, a shaving foam bottle in my hands and thought, hey, that's a cool product. And then I looked at which company was producing that and it was a company that still exists today and very famous and big one. And I thought, hmm, what do all these people do to bring this product on the shelf? I think, that's cool. I can see that. That's a lot of creation, activity, a lot of logistics. I would like that. And so I investigated that a little bit. And then I decided to write to all Unilever companies in the UK. I was studying in the UK at the time. And one of them took me on, Quest International in Ashford and Kent. 
And they are no longer a company of Unilever. They've been purchased by Jibodan, another fragrance and flavor company. But that was my first step into the world of consumer goods. And I really, really liked it from the start. Brilliant. And what's kept you in it, Frank, all these years? Because you've worked for some great businesses. So what's the thing that sort of stopped you going off into other markets, other industries? Yeah, I think uh, the charm that I always saw working in consumer goods and eventually working with food and then in later stages with ingredients was that you have a direct connections to people's lives. And whilst not everybody around you might understand in detail what you're doing, I think uh, you can always hint to that and that product and said, hey, actually, I've, I've done the packaging for that or I've brought that into a supermarket, Edeka in Germany or Tesco in the UK. And I was involved to bring that on the shelf. And then they say, well, I don't quite like the flavor of that drink. And say, well, okay, let's see if I can do something about that. And I think it's this direct connection with people's lives that I've always liked about that industry. And I grew up on a farm and in the later stages of my career, I really found that it was almost like going back to the roots because where we are now in Simrise, we've got a lot of agricultural products that are raw materials. So it feels over the span of my career has become more and more a natural fit. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in tune with your roots, arguably, Frank, by the sounds of it, those early days. Yeah. And what, what's influenced you along the way? You know, have there been key moments that have influenced your career, would you say? Yeah, influenced or like helped my career. I think first and foremost, I would say like I've got a very understanding and supportive wife. So Sandra works luckily in HR and uh, I think I'm very, very blessed that she always had an understanding what is required to be in business and to be a successful in business and to be supportive. And uh, I think that's probably the biggest and most important foundation for me. And then I think in terms of what has driven me, I think I've always wanted to build something together with other people and wanted to be with inspiring people and hopefully also do something to inspire people around me. And I just explored opportunities in that space. For example, I took the opportunity to work in Spain when I was 30 years old and didn't speak Spanish at the time. And when I got the opportunity to be invited for an interview, I thought, well, I mean, that looks like a sensible next career step for me to move on. And why not just exploring it? And so went for the interview and uh, they liked me. They invited me to join. Chupa Chups was the company at the time. Yeah, and uh, had a good time there. And I think another good example for me exploring things was when I was invited a couple of years later to co-found a startup, the Candy and Toy Factory. Again, like probably a lot of risk involved, but I just went for it, explored it and turned out to be a great experience. And by the way, the company still exists today. So we did something sustainable there. Brilliant. And I don't know how much you've reflected on this, Frank, but are there traits, attributes that you think have been helpful to you in your career? Are there traits? Are there attributes? It's uh, sometimes maybe not so easy to see in yourself, but I think definitely curiosity, yeah, definitely openness to listen to situations developing. 
I think I heard somewhere a long time ago, opportunity knocks softly. And I think uh, to have a general openness to explore what's coming along your way and to be in tune for that, I think helps. And uh, I've always wanted to build something. It was always, always had in my mind that I wanted to build something ideally with other people. And that quite naturally is probably an organization or a team or function in a company I think that has been driving me along. And then the challenges come one after the other and you try to ma master them. But I think my drive has always been to, to create something. And in the space of companies or organizations or teams, naturally, I wanted to, that team to be successful <laughs> and to really make an impact in the space uh, that we are active. Interesting. And best career advice you've received, Frank, because I imagine in the businesses you've worked with, you must have worked with some really great people over the years. Yeah. Thinking about what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received? Yeah, I think there are probably two examples that are worth mentioning. The first one was I was a young brand manager at Kraft Foods and I was on this soluble coffee specialities brand and uh, a lot of new launches at the time back in the 1990s. There was a brand new category in the market, so it was quite a, quite a lot going on and with very volatile sales. We had strong growth, but very volatile sales. And at Kraft Foods at that time, we were tracking weekly market shares with Nielsen and weekly volumes going through with the retailers. And there was this one Tuesday morning, always on Tuesdays, the shares came in. And Tuesday morning, I saw my shares. They had really halved like the week before. I was all distraught. And I went to my boss, a very experienced marketing director. And I said, look at that. I mean, my God, and I'm really, really worried I might get fired. And he leaned back in his chair and said to me, well, don't worry our brands are so strong, they survive at least 10 bad brand managers. <laughs> I thought, well, that's a nice thing to say. Thank you. <laughs> now I'm really reassured. <laughs> but reflecting on that, he basically gave me the message, maybe with a little bit tough to accept sentence, because I was thinking, well, what was he really thinking of me and my capabilities? But basically he said, don't worry. Yeah, so lean back, breathe and carry on. And like uh, things are not, in German we say, things are not eaten as hot as they are cooked. Okay. I've not heard that before. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, it reminds me of a phrase, you know, you can't break it. <laughs> you know, you can't, it can't be broken type thing. But yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah. And did you say there was another example that came to mind as well? There was another piece of advice. As I said before, I think uh, curiosity was always something that drove me. I always wanted to learn. And I think that was naturally relatively easy in the earlier stages of my career. So like having been lucky to have worked with company like Kraft Foods or then moved to Spain, I was so much to explore, new languages to learn. I also was lucky enough in the later stage of my career to do an MBA. And then it was all of a sudden in my mid-40s that I thought, hmm, I'm not quite sure what the next stage of development for me is. And it was 
at Simrise then, I had today as a great friend, Stefan, appear. We had a lot of conversation about that and he really drove me towards exploring self-development and self-learning journeys and uh, what that means. And I really didn't have a concept for that. And he pushed me specifically to, yeah, the concepts of the Center for Creative Leadership and I think uh, I explored that and got into that. And what does it mean? Who do I really want to be for the next stage and the stage thereafter? And is leadership something for me, like not just for teams or function, but also for an organization or company? And I consider myself really lucky that Simrise supported me on that journey. And I think that maybe it's not a specific catchphrase or advice, but this conversation with Stefan that I had on self-development were really, really crucial. So they made me reflect on a lot of things and how also in the later stages of my career, I could really do something for my self-development and for my personal learning journey. Sounds like it's been really pivotal, Frank, in terms of that that journey you've gone on, which not everyone has the ability to do that. I mean, on that topic, talk us through the journey you went on. I mean, yeah, give us an example of some of the things you explored and, 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 and went through on that self-learning journey, Frank. Yeah, and I think probably like when COVID came on, I think that was a moment where for myself, it was only two years ago, two and a half years ago, but uh, that journey really accelerated. And obviously the commute had gone away for some days. Some days we were in the office. So all of a sudden there was more time. All of a sudden, like I found access to, for example, podcasts. Uh, I had more time to read and more time to reflect because simply so much life had just fallen away <laughs> and so much space had been created. And I th thought it was then that uh, I started like really building, reflecting on what had I actually learned at university, at the MBA. I said like, what are the concepts? How does excellence in leadership look like? And who actually puts that on paper and describes that? And I think I'm very, very grateful to have discovered podcasts like yourself, I think that are an inspiration where books are mentioned and where you think hmm, what that person says resonates with me. And actually he's mentioned that book and uh, maybe I have a look at that. And I think that was for me a very, very beneficial time in the last two and a half years. And for example, like uh, probably know the high performance podcasts that are out there where they interview sports people and leaders. I think that helped me a lot and provided some great inspiration. It's fantastic, isn't it? And then I think it's writing a diary, reflecting your thoughts and putting some of them in action. Yes. Yeah. It's a fantastic podcast, that one. I think it's interesting because the guests they get are quite varied. I think they've had sports people business people, politicians even, or ex-politicians. So it's fascinating. But a bit like this podcast, Frank, you know, the thing that is always remarkable is there are some real common themes that a lot of leaders touch upon, but it's the way they frame it that sometimes just resonates with people in a different way that I find fascinating. Yeah. But reflection by the sounds of it has been quite powerful for you, Frank, that moment to reflect and sounds like you know, like some other people have commented, 
after pandemics given that opportunity to reflect so yeah it sounds like it's been really important for you yeah Now, before I go to my next question, I wanted to remind you about the brand new charitable initiative we launched in 2022 called the Mentors Club. The purpose of the Mentors Club is to raise money for charity whilst facilitating the introduction to inspirational industry leaders for quick advice and mentorship. Think executive coaching meets speed dating. It's a 100% for charity initiative with three wonderful beneficiaries, including the Magic Breakfast, Macmillan and RMHC. We've got a panel of 10 superb mentors you can get access to, including Andrew Selly, the CEO of Bid Food, Sue Garfit, the CEO of Alpro, and Julia Darville, the UK MD of Puratos, plus many, many more. Think of it this way. If you're working through a challenge at work, or you're at a career crossroads and you'd be keen to get inspirational advice from industry-proven leaders, then this is for you. Likewise, if you're already operating at C-suite level and you're looking for a great networking opportunity to connect with other like-minded leaders, then this is for you. To find out more and support the initiative and check out our amazing panel of mentors, then simply go to leaderexecutive.com forward slash The Mentors Club. Thank you for your support. Let's move on to talk about Simrise. Yeah, a business I know you're incredibly proud of, Frank. For, for anyone not familiar, do give us an introduction to Simrise. Yeah, Simrise is a company that produces fragrances, flavors, cosmetic and food ingredients, and really has grown over the last 20 years from a pretty local German company to a global leader in the industry. And nowadays we have a turnover of around three and a half billion pounds. And our customers are literally all producers of consumer goods, food and beverage and pet food products. And when in the supermarket, our customers' products and consequently our products are literally in every ale and every shelf. Yeah, I think we're one of the fastest growing companies in the industry. We probably have one thing that you would find when you look in the corporate report that we are officially proud on i think that's our sustainability track record we are one of the most sustainable companies not only in our industry but generally in industry and uh, in all the aspects the social care aspects the footprint aspects and all the aspects of sustainability but i think the other point equally important is uh, what I think is probably a pretty unique culture that focuses a lot on collaboration. And I think that's something that our customers tend to shout out with us, what makes us pretty special. And it's certainly something I've always really enjoyed being at Simras. Yeah, I was going to ask what's underpinned the success of the business, because clearly it's very successful. So sustainability, this culture of partnership, would you say, Frank, with the consumers? I don't know if that's how you phrase it within the business, but what would you characterize as the things that have underpinned the success of the business? Yeah, I think there's probably the hard side of it and the soft side of it. And let's start with the soft side, as you mentioned, uh, partnership, Jonathan. I think that's uh, certainly the case. And I think we're naturally good at collaborating and providing solutions to our customers, innovating with our customers and 
in an ideal moment of collaboration with our customers. Uh, we'd have, for example, innovation days and you'd come into the room and then it would be an atmosphere where we would be with our team, with the customer's team. And uh, if somebody who doesn't know both teams comes into the room, he couldn't say this is the supplier or this is the customer because it would be all one team discussing, collaborating, creating together. I think that's uh, something that is probably one of our strengths. On the more hard side, I think we've got a, an amazing, an amazing technological library, if you will, of capabilities, a lot of technologies. I, I think we could literally solve any challenge that a food, beverage or consumer goods manufacturer or pet food manufacturer would come up with, with their products in terms of formulation. Whilst we sell only a specific component, the taste or the scent or the ingredient to the product. We always look at the whole product formulation, the whole recipe, if you will, the way it's manufactured, the way it's packaged and delivered. And I think we're very strong in giving good solutions to our customers that eventually are embraced and are accepted by consumers because at the end of the day it's that simple like if the consumer likes the product thinks that it has a good cost a good price on the supermarket shelf or somewhere else or in a restaurant and buys it then you will think hmm, that was a good experience and i'll return and it's only then that we are successful when our customers are successful with, with their products, with the consumer. Yeah. Now, Frank, you joined the business in the summer of 2019. So, you know, it was only a short kind of six, seven months later that the world went into lockdown with the, with, with the pandemic. So talk us through those early stages. You know, it's probably an obvious question to ask, but greatest challenges. And, and then maybe give us an idea of, you know, now we're sort of coming out the other side, the kind of successes you've had since joining in that summer of, uh, of 19. Yeah, we came to the UK as a family in summer 2019, August 2019, as you said, and it was for the business, it was not an easy situation. I came into a situation where Simrise just a year before I had acquired a major local beverage ingredient company and the acquisition was not really working. Uh, different cultures, different portfolios, uh, different ways of working. So there was a lot of issues there that needed to be resolved. And then literally five months later, we ran into Brexit. Yeah, So like I just started to figure things out and the, basically the whole country shut down. And we we wouldn't know if we would operate our factories next week, literally like that. If we could continue, if we could ship any products to customers, uh, we wouldn't know if our people were safe. And I think that was really, obviously, for everybody, it was a huge challenge and very, very difficult situation. But personally, when I look back now, I think the pandemic probably helped me in my particular leadership situation because I had to rely on the people around me and said, like, what would you do now? Well, wow. somebody said in the leadership team, let's send the people home. Yeah, but the government is not yet recommending that. But probably if this is a challenging virus and so dangerous, as everybody says, that's a good idea. Okay, let's take the decision. Do we have the IT equipment to do that so people can work from home? And it was 
great, great moment from our IT department that they say, actually, like, we've got a lot of laptops that we've exchanged and that we still have, and we can equip our people to take them home. And we did that. We just took the decision and sent people home. And we then had the challenging situation that we could not send everybody home because obviously, like in our laboratories, in our factories, people had to stay on site. So we did a lot of communication with them, said, okay, what, what do we do? How do we have to work so that we can distance, that we can stay safe, not knowing how this whole situation would develop? And uh, I think everyone was nervous. Everyone was almost afraid. And for me, it was a very humbling situation, very new into a new role, very new into an organization. I did not really know the people and basically I had to trust them. And I think probably I'm, I'm quite good at then listening and I don't have to have the last word in a conversation or have to come up with the brightest idea. And uh, we had a lot of debate in the leadership team, what we would do. And we just took then decisions. We sent people home. We made a few telephone conferences where we tried to bring the whole company on to explain what's happening, what we do. We installed a pretty big crisis committee um, that at first, every morning at eight o'clock, we had 30 people on a call. So like relatively wide community to update on what we're doing. We asked the team leaders to check in with their people, to be in touch with them, to make sure how they are, whether they are affected, whether they are healthy, whether they're afraid. And I think we had a lot of conversation going on in the first two weeks just to make sure that we know where people are. Are you at home? How is your situation at home? Do you have two kids in the background that you need to take care for when you try to work? Okay, go sort that out and don't worry about having to be there from eight to five and if that's not working. So sort that out. And the same in the factories, the same in the labs said, like, how can we use other spaces, more space to, to make sure that everyone is safe. And I think thinking and reflecting back, I think it was a big, big team effort. Yeah. And uh, I think I was busy coordinating more than like thinking about concepts. I think it was a lot of seeking input from people. And I think I focused on making sure that our messaging was very direct and simple. And I think we always continued with the same message and said, well, government has come up with new, with new regulations. And we just say, like, stay safe, stay distance, wash your hands, disinfect your hands, wear your face mask later when that came on and simply repeated that. And I think. The nice experience was that the organization really, really paid that back. So like having taken care of everybody, it was really, really paid back by, by our people with, with a lot of responsibility and uh, a lot of contribution. And I never felt that people all of a sudden, whilst the offices were empty, I never felt out of touch. And I thought there was a lot of communication going on and that trust that we quite was not even a conscious decision to extend trust to people, to empower them with what we had to do and what came very natural. And people just responded to that and said like, yes, I mean, like they're not kids, they're adults. 
and they're responsible. And I felt that it was a very energizing, very challenging period, but very energizing period. Mm. Well, I mean, listening, collaboration, team effort, high levels of communication. I'm sure we'll talk about this in the next section around leadership, but it sounds like these are all the things that came to the forefront, Frank. Looking back, you must be quite proud by the sounds of it. I mean, no one would want to repeat it, of course, but it seems like, yeah, quite a moment to be proud in terms of how you guys handle that situation. I was very proud on the team. And I think it gave me a lot of confidence that this team could achieve a lot and I think once we were through the second quarter 2020, um, we had two key challenges. So our sales were in free fall because we were serving a lot of customers in the out-of-home market. And we had Brexit around the corner. And like all our products cross the border, most of them to the EU, either in the form of raw materials or finished goods, uh, one way or the other. So we had to convert our company in the UK into an import-export company uh, running up to the 2020 year-end. So these were the two challenges. And I think we said, guys, we need to find ways that we turn our sales situation around and we basically need to get over the big, big hump at the end of the year called Brexit. And we were lucky that we could hire capable consultants to, to help us uh, set up the framework for Brexit. But they said, guys, we don't have the time because we've got a lot of clients who ask exactly the same question. We haven't got the time to manage the project management office for you. So you'll have to do that yourself. And again, in hindsight, that we're very fortunate that we had to do that because we had to get involved in the nitty gritties of the project. And I entrusted that my PA, Angela, to run the PMO and said, would you like to do that? And I said, yes, if you support me, I do that. And she was brilliant in that she basically said, guys, what do you need in your respective departments to make sure we get over the hump? So we got everyone thinking within the framework that we'd set up, whether that was customs, whether that was logistics, whether that was declaration and regulatory, think what do we have to do to basically get over the hump? And again, like we had this rhythm of daily meetings in July and August uh, 2020, then bi-weekly meetings towards the end of the year until we had everything set up uh, that we knew how to import and export uh, for Brexit. And yeah, at the same time, we kicked off a lot of innovation and uh, obviously we couldn't see our customers. And uh, as I said before, like collaboration is one of our strengths. So um, how did we do that? And uh, basically found new ways of bringing the new product concepts to our customers. We sent them boxes with tasting samples, drinks and uh, food products. And we had conversations like the two of us now have on screen, something completely new. But it was the idea of the market team that they said, well, we do that once in a while. Why couldn't we develop like that? And said, guys, go ahead, let's do that. And I think they came up with some really pretty nice developments and it was new for the customers. And they said, well, strange that you're not in the same room with me evaluating a new product sample. Normally we do that together. Now we do that on screen, but it worked. And I think drawing a line underneath, I think what these crises did, they got a lot of, or everyone almost in our organization, 
to think what can they do to overcome the challenges. And it released a lot of energy with the people. Mm. Sounds like you've got a very solution-focused team there, Frank, that sound brilliant, sound brilliant. Sounds like they've come together. And I, and I know we're still in a place where there's many challenges out there, which kind of leads me on to my next question. You know, as we as we sit here talking at the beginning of summer 2022, what are the priorities right now then, Frank? You know, what are you focused on as the MD trying to lead Simrise into the future? What are the priorities for you at the moment? I think the current priorities have shifted from managing Brexit to managing cost of living and the cost increase around us. I mean, that's the latest fire that is burning, obviously. And uh, that's affecting everyone, let's say everyone in the Western world and everyone, every person in the UK. And what you can see in, in retail is, for example, that Aldi and Lidl are really significantly gaining market share because consumers shift their, their consumption patterns and basically gravitate towards not so expensive products. Yeah, they need to have a lot, lot of loss in expendable income and they tend to, to other products. And I think for us, that means that uh, very immediate, uh, we have a cost increase on all fronts. Yeah, The energy goes up, the raw materials goes up, like wages have gone up because we compensated for inflation this year for our people this year. So we need to recoup that cost. And that leads to challenging conversations with customers because we cannot maintain the prices that they are used to. So we have to increase prices. And uh, again, that's very stressful for the organization, for the team. And at the same time, we... We want to continue to collaborate with our customers and to keep innovating. It's very easy to get distracted and managing just the crisis and start losing focus of the future. So I guess like this double challenge to manage the present, maintain a sustainable situation in terms of our financials and maintain focus on innovating and help our customers to develop the next generation of their products. I think that's probably the current big challenge. And are there, or is there anything you can share with us, Frank, around how you mitigate some of this stuff? Because it's it's not easy conversations to have with customers and, and obviously the bulk of your customers will be manufacturers. So are, are there examples you can share with us around what you're doing as a business to mitigate passing on cost increases ultimately? There's a whole host of things. And in the best of all worlds, we look at, we basically question the recipes, we question the ways of manufacturing, and we go into a collaboration with our customers on that. And there are always ways of doing things more effective. Yeah, there are always new, let's say, new developments around uh, in terms of ingredients so that they have a lower cost as compared to what you've been using. So that's technological advance. And in an ideal situation, that's what we're doing. And in a very ideal situation, we increase quality because we modernize products with our customers and decrease cost that they then can pass on to the consumers. But many times it's just simply getting our customers to agree to higher prices. Yeah? And that's tough sometimes. And that's what our customers have to do with the retailers. And that's very tough for them. 
but and then the retailers, and that's what you see in the news, increase the prices, and that's how inflation kicks on. But I think that's that's the situation we are in right now. Yeah, yeah. It sounds though, from what you said, Frank, in many ways, you know, your mantra of collaboration, you're actually collaborating more than you probably ever have done. You're innovating more than you ever have done. You're looking at modernizing and harnessing things like recipe formulations to try and mitigate some of this stuff. But ultimately, you can't avoid it completely because the rate of inflation is so high. But a bit like some people commented around COVID, you know, and how to get around some of these challenges, it sort of innovates the way you innovate, you know, you speed up the acceleration or the progress of your business. So yeah, it's difficult conversations to have, but in many ways, I suppose it brings about progress in a slightly faster way, doesn't it? Because you obviously do want to avoid passing on those costs, which ultimately end up at the consumer's doorstep. So yeah, good. What um, what can we expect, Frank, from Simrise in the coming years? What are the ambitions for the business here in the UK? The ambitions for Simrise in the UK are, uh, first of all, to continue our track of success which we have. Right now, we are the fastest growing company in our industry in the UK. And I think uh, we've got a unique portfolio of solutions in the market that uh, differentiates us a little bit from the competitors. And uh, we're more and more finding a way to make that accessible to our customers. And it's something we had to learn over the last few years, but we also had, we had the time to learn because COVID hit a bit of a pause button so we could do that and i think that's what we want to to do like in terms of what that means concretely obviously there's new legislation coming into the food and beverage market in the uk that is the so-called hfss high fat sugar and salt legislation and uh, that means a lot of reformulation of products on our customer side And we've got a whole host of ideas how we can support them there and also like uh, good products that that uh, they can work with uh, latest generations of natural flavors, other taste ingredients from natural sources, sustainably sourced. For example, our vanilla that goes all the way back to Madagascar, where we are fully backward integrated. And I think it's, well, everyone who cooks, everyone who bakes knows that. Yeah, so like if you take fat out, if you take sugar out, if you take salt out, you need to put some more spices in and some more like ingredients ingredients like onion, treat them differently to make sure that there's still a good and nice and culinary taste on the savory side. When you bake, you do other things. And I think that's what we do with our customers as well. And we're very, very good positioned to help them create products that consumers like at the end of the day. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Now, before I go to my next question, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Obvious Candidate. Obvious Candidate was founded by Sam Waterfall, aka London's Global Career Coach. And I'm delighted to collaborate with Sam as he has a truly unique approach to helping you get the job you really want. Having begun his own career in brand management at Procter & Gamble, Sam understands marketing. And he's the only career coach I ever recommend. Why? Well, simply because he gets results. As the founder of Obvious Candidate, Sam has 18 years experience in helping people to position themselves as the number one obvious candidate, head and shoulders above the competition. 
He's successfully worked with people who've gone on to land jobs with the International Olympic Committee, the World Economic Forum, Nike, Amazon, Virgin, Red Bull Racing, Rolls-Royce to name just a few. Essentially, if your job search is taking too long or you're struggling to get the job offers you really want, then Sam is your man. Now, Sam and I have put together an exclusive offer for you, the listeners, where he's prepared to offer you for free a video introduction to his amazing precision networking method. And he'll also give you, again, for free, a copy of his Dream 30 networking tracker. This helps you to organize, structure, and guide your approach to effective networking. I've seen it, it's superb, and it is a proven strategy that gets results. To reach out to Sam and take advantage, simply go to www.obviouscandidate.com forward slash leader. Do it today. You won't regret it. Your next big job is waiting for you. Now, moving on to leadership, Frank, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to uh, pick your brains around leadership. I know we've spoken about this previously. So in your experience, Frank, yeah, talk us through what does good leadership look like from your perspective? Yeah, I think good leadership delivers great results and makes an impact. Yeah, and I think good leadership, well, basically you have when an organization or company or team or sports group is successful. I think that's one side and the other side is that the people really have a stake in that and that they feel involved and that they are energized and that they really, the group of people who creates the success and produces this success basically feels we're doing our life's best work. And this project really is worth going the extra mile and they are energized. And I think uh, it's very, very important in an organization or a company to measure that, yeah? So that it's not wishful thinking flowing from the top down, but that's really perceived by that. And so I think good leadership is measured by very simple tools sometimes, survey monkeys that uh, ask a few questions. Do you like to work in this company? <laughs> Are you energized to work in this company? Do you understand the strategies? How well are you being communicated with? Can you have a say in the company? Somebody listening to you if you come up with an idea? And I think that's sometimes tough if you put out these surveys because you get answers that <laughs> you need a moment to digest. But I think that's when you see how your leadership journey is going and how you see that that hopefully consistently is improving that people say yes i mean like uh, i feel being taken care of i feel that i can make a contribution i feel that i'm being listened to and actually i like to work there and i like the people i work with and hopefully they say at some point it's fun and i think that's when you really can say okay that's good leadership yeah yeah and 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 people feeling energized and empowered and feeling like they have a a stake in things and team being successful what what are the things you as the leader thinks about frank how do you sort of manifest those feelings in people have, have you got say principles that you tend to focus on when we talk about leading well you know how do you get people to that place what are the things you tend to do yeah, I think that basically that's a journey that is, personally, I feel you're never there. Yeah, I think you can always improve and it's pretty much continuous journey. But I think uh, when you would ask me for my personal, quote unquote, brand of leadership, I would say that it's very, very important to care for 
your teams, your people and your organization and to work very hard to provide clarity and psychological safety. And I think especially in COVID that if it needed anything to confirm that it was COVID, yeah, so like so, so important. And there are probably three elements that you'd say, like be trusting as a leader, be transparent, and that's tough sometimes, but be transparent. So like that people don't find out elsewhere they need to hear from you, whatever the situation is. And be bold. I remember when I said, well, we want to be the best in our industry and we want to be the company that everyone wants to work with in our industry. How the reaction was of my leadership team. They said, mm, that's a strong ask. I said, why would we settle for less? We're here at the end of the day to be the best and let's agree on that. Let's go for that. And it's worth trying. Yeah. So we may not get there, but it's a journey. And let's, let's assume we can be the best and let's operate like that. And um, I think eventually that was very energizing, both for my leadership team and obviously the team transports that further into the organization. So also for the whole organization. Mm. And you mentioned trust there, Frank, what's your view on trust? There's a lot of talk about it, but are you someone that gives trust immediately or do people do you build trust over time? What's your view around trust? Because it's so pivotal, isn't it? And, it? and people talk about it an awful lot in good leadership. What's your view around trust? Yeah, I like that question, Jonathan, because I have a view to that that is probably not the normal view. And I think a lot of people say, well, trust is earned in a long journey over time. And I've never wanted to operate like that. I think said like take a startup mentality and apply that to trust, right? So with a startup, you don't get much or you don't get far very, very quickly if you say, well, let's start now and then let's sell one product, let's sell another product and let's see, hopefully we'll be successful one day and market leader. Now as a startup, you get normally good funding and then you have to run. And that's how I would like to think about trust and how I think about trust as well. So I tell my people, I give you trust and treat it like credit. You have my full trust and a credit like you have to pay back. Yeah? You have not to default on that because then you're in trouble. And that's how I like to think about trust as well. So I give trust upfront and uh, of course you're disappointed once in a while. But uh, I think I can safely say that that concept has worked very well for me with most people. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, an interesting way to, to view it as well. And, and just finally on this leadership piece, Frank, there'll be people listening to this who are aspiring leaders of tomorrow. So with that in mind and the way the world is evolving as well, Frank, what are the really critical leadership skills and attributes you would, you would encourage people to develop if they want to be great leaders of tomorrow? Yeah, I think the first one is a very personal question to answer. I think leadership requires some personal sacrifice. And I think the first question that every aspiring leader has to ask themselves, am I willing to do what this takes? Yeah, that, uh, and probably also, do I have the support around me 
to be successful because it needs to be in sync with your with your partner with your family it's very very important that that is balanced so i think that's very crucial and i think on the other side you need a framework yeah so like you need to build on your strengths obviously and these can be very diverse but you need a framework to develop these and i think you need to probably ask yourself there are four really big attributes that every leader needs and the first one is communication yeah you need to be a moderate to good communicator and you need to like to communicate and uh, second is influence you need to be a good influencer because you need to influence customers uh, peers bosses your teams your organization so you need to like that and you need to be skillful at it self-awareness Yeah, it's really, really important to be able to continuously reflect on how you get across, how you interact and uh, what's your own development journey. And I think learning agility, yeah, you need to be curious, you need to be wanting to learn more and not say after a few years, well, that's it. Now I know the world and I can operate in it. Yeah, so it never stops and you always have to want to learn. And I think there are a lot of frameworks. Uh, I tend to work with Compass, which is the framework from the Center for Creative Leadership. But equally, there's a framework that is called from Corn Ferry, FYI, big book for your improvement. So like, I think if you have these attributes clear, then there's a framework to develop that. And uh, some good companies do that with their people. And if you happen to be in a company that maybe not does, does that, then I think my advice would be seek out one of these frameworks, reflect on yourself. How would you like to be? What are your strengths? And then systematically go about developing that. Mm. I think that's some really, really good advice. Frank, really good advice. Thank you for sharing that. Now, before I let you go, a couple of slightly more quick fire questions, Frank, although don't rush. <laughs> Happy for you to take your time. Book recommendations and anything that springs to mind that's been particularly impactful for you and anything you'd care to recommend for the listeners? Yeah, like I think I'm reading a book right now, which I've really, really like. It's called Positive Intelligence from Shirzad Chamin. And yeah, that's uh, like about the inner coaches and the inner critics, yeah, and how to balance that and deal with them. Great book for personal development. And I've read a book last summer, which I really, really enjoyed from Stephen Schwarzman, the founder of Blackstone. It's called What It Takes. And it's basically his own leadership journey i think very very few people ever achieve such heights of success but i found a very inspiring book brilliant well there's two books i'm not familiar with so i've made a note frank i shall go and search them out we've talked previously about family and you've got uh, two children frank so keen to pick your brains on this work-life balance you know do you have one and if so do you have any advice for people <laughs> in this everly well this ever increasingly busy world i spend time with the family jonathan and i believe like yourself you also have two young kids uh, spend a lot of time on on football grounds in the weekend and carry them around <laughs> and that's always very wonderful and very nice and energizing for myself uh, also in COVID, uh, i've uh, come to really appreciate nature 
nature and uh, I've introduced like evening walks through the park and like really to be in nature. I've started taking photos of certain trees and edited them with a small applications on the app. And when I was younger, I also painted. So like I kind of rediscovered that. And, uh, yeah, and then I do a bit of sport here and there, a bit of swimming and a bit of gym. And I think that's my life outside work. And is, is that important, Frank, in terms of productivity when you're in work? Do you find these activities has a direct correlation with how productive you are and being fresh and ready? for when you are at work? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's very, very important to energize and re-energize. And yeah, so like, I think you need to take some time out of work and uh, out of your schedules and even out of family for yourself and uh, find something that you really like, uh, whether it's playing an instrument or being with friends or reading a book or whatever it is, doing sports, you need to have some time to yourself and that cannot be compromised. I totally believe in that. And how, I don't know if you've got any advice for people, but in this world where, and especially in a role like yours, Frank, I can imagine everyone, everyone will want your time. You know, we're all very time poor. How do you go about prioritising where you invest your time, Frank? You know, is there anything in particular you do when you start planning your week, your month, your year ahead? I'm particularly bad at that because I always think there's more opportunity to go after. So like I've made a very clear contract with my personal assistant, Angela. She runs my agenda. Yeah. And I always have the tendency to get back onto it and uh, trying to do want to do more. And I've really, really surrendered that to her. So she manages it and I have to I have to obey 100%. And I think that works relatively well. And it is challenging for me, but I've completely delegated that. It sounds like an interesting concept. And I've had some some contact with Angela. She's amazing. And you can tell she's really good at a job and efficient. But it that's interesting. So you, So Angela, in effect, sort of manages your time. So you're removed from making those decisions around how much time you spend where, to some extent. That sounds like it's been really helpful. So essentially, we all need to find an Angela, Frank. <laughs> we need to find our own Angela. Yeah, but I think and at any, obviously, I'm very, very lucky that I can work with somebody like Angela. But I think in maybe more junior stages of your career, I think it's very, very important to have supportive people around you that you trust. And ideally, that's a partner. But if it's not a partner, good friends. And not not only friends that say you every moment of the day how wonderful you are, but that also hold you, hold you accountable. Yeah, and that give you a bit of feedback. And I think that's very, very important so that we all have a support, a few supportive people around us that really like us, but that also tell us what is important and what to do and maybe some feedback what not to do. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And finally, Frank, knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger self in terms of career advice? Yeah, probably. I have a tendency to overthink things and maybe some of that has come through in our conversation as well. And I would say to my younger self, just go for it and do it and you'll be okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, listen, Frank, thank you so much for sharing some of your thoughts. It's really interesting to understand a bit more about Simrise. It sounds like you've got an amazing team there that eat challenges for breakfast, Frank, if I may say. I'm sure it's not been that easy, but it sounds like you've got a great culture and a great team there. So, 
Yeah, thank you for sharing your thoughts. I wish you all the best for the future. I know we'll stay in touch and thank you once again for sharing with us. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Frank. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found this episode valuable. Don't forget to subscribe so you get notified about all future episodes. I'm working really hard to keep bringing you inspirational leaders from the food and drink industry that we can all learn from. And if you're feeling generous, please drop us a review. It really helps spread the podcast far and wide. And finally, as you've probably noticed, my passion is to help businesses thrive through the power of people. Like the very best leaders of today, I understand how creating purpose-led cultures with high levels of trust and employee engagement leads to successful financial performance. Back in 2011, I founded Leader Executive to help companies outperform the market by focusing on the human element of their business, their people. As a well-respected talent solutions partner, we collaborate with food and drink businesses across our four business pillars, design, hire, develop, inspire. To find out more about how we can help you outperform your competition by focusing on the human element of your business, then reach out to me on john at leaderexecutivesearch.com. I'd be delighted to hear from you. Until next time on the Leader Insight Series podcast, take care. Take care.